the possibility that foods might affect depression, and perhaps in a favorable way if they're the right foods, came to our attention as a bit of an accident. We were doing a research study with GEICO Insurance. So we instituted a program at GEICO of a vegan diet, both in the cafeteria and a, a weekly class for anybody who wanted to actually jump in. And so although the purpose of it was to look at weight changes and to see how people's diabetes might improve, we saw something else. And that was depression started to lift. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 75 of season four, number 270 overall. Let's ponder this today. Could what you're eating make you depressed, even if it's a so-called comfort food? We're about to explore the science of how you feel after you eat and how that depends on what you eat. Explaining the connection of food and mood for us today and answering your questions is Dr. Neil Barnard. You know, the World Health Organization estimates that 5% of the entire global adult population is affected by depression, while tens of millions of others will feel the burden of seasonal affective disorder during the fall and winter months. So we'll be opening up the doctor's mailbag and Dr. Barnard will be answering your questions and hopefully bringing some relief. Some questions in the mailbag today are, what are the best foods to fight depression? And can a vegan diet help? And will junk food help depression or make the symptoms worse? And why do we crave junk food when we're depressed? And perhaps most importantly, what are the most important nutrients for mental health? All of those questions and many more will be answered. But first, I want to take a moment to tell you about the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Their support of the Exam Room Podcast and the Physicians Committee is helping to raise our health IQs and make this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Dr. Barnard, thank you very much for joining us. Great to be with you, Chuck. You ready for question number one? You bet. All right. This one comes to us from Etor. And Etor writes, is a junk food diet more likely to cause depression? Well, it's a great question. And and historically, people have kind of drawn a division. Um, Whatever's below the neck, that's where diet could have an effect. But if it's above the neck, no, it couldn't have any effect. Well, the possibility that foods might affect depression um, and perhaps in a favorable way, if they're the right foods, came to our attention as a bit of an accident. We were doing a research study with Geico Insurance. And the reason the reason we did this study, and Chuck, you and I have talked about this before, um, the Geico's national headquarters is about three or four blocks from our office. And so they were really interested in the possibility that a plant-based diet might help them where they had an employee who wanted to lose some weight or get diabetes under better control. 
So we instituted a program at GEICO of a vegan diet, both in the cafeteria and a, a weekly class for anybody who wanted to, to actually jump in. And so although the purpose of it was to look at weight changes and to see how people's diabetes might improve, we saw something else. And that was depression started to lift. And, and you can do this objectively where, where you have individuals fill out a paper and pencil questionnaire of specific symptoms. How are you sleeping? How's your mood? Um, how's your appetite? A whole bunch of indicators of depression. And what we saw is that quite steadily they were improving over the course of the study. The flip side of that is anxiety. Uh, the two often go together and anxiety symptoms improved as well. And so if you, oh, oh and, and one other thing, we then also just looked at a really kind of crude measure. Are you at work as opposed to being absent? Uh, being absent. And absenteeism uh, dropped quite dramatically in the study. So then we started digging around and, and to see if other researchers looking at vegan diets had found the same thing. And the short answer is yes, they had. A researcher named Bonnie Beasel in uh, Illinois had found that if you look at vegans as a group, generally speaking, their, their depression is less, their anxiety is less. And so anyway, to, to answer the, the question that you raised is, could diet affect mood? The answer is yes, but that doesn't tell you exactly why. And I have to say, I think there are two reasons why. The first reason is that what you eat affects your gut bacteria. And it affects it fast. Uh, if you start, let, let's say you're eating, and I'm not gonna say junk food like Twizzlers and things. I'm gonna think more greasy foods, uh, cheese, animal products, animal proteins. Those things in particular encourage the growth of unhealthy gut bacteria. Switch from those to really high fiber foods, beans, whole grains, fruits, vegetables. They support the growth of really healthy gut bacteria. That change will occur within about two to three weeks of beginning the diet change. In other words, you'll see healthier bacterial uh, species being favored. In turn, those healthy gut bacteria will feed back to the brain. They, they make various compounds and, and, and the unhealthy bacteria, which have been making unhealthy compounds, they're gone. And so brain chemistry changes. That's the first explanation. The second explanation is just inflammation. A plant-based diet is an anti-inflammatory diet. Inflammatory compounds drive depression. So, so Chuck, I, I, the short answer is yes. Um, we think we know why, but let me not leave it there though, Chuck. Um, depression can be deadly. I mean, suicide is a real thing in cases of severe depression. So I say that, do not cancel your doctor's appointment. Uh, work with your caregiver, but plug in a healthy diet. While you're at it, lace up your sneakers. When people exercise, even if you are exercising all by yourself, exercise has an antidepressant effect too. If you're exercising with other people in the sunlight, all of those things work together. So whatever medical treatment you need, fine, but healthy diet, physical exercise, get out, get some sun, and all those together are gonna to be mood lifters. Let's take a follow-up here from Shara. And I think that this is one that it's kind of a, a puzzler. So you just said about how eating a healthy diet can theoretically, really based off of what your research has shown, improve the mood, 
but then a lot of times when we're depressed, we want anything that is unhealthy. So Shar's question, Dr. Barnard, is why do we crave unhealthy food when we're feeling depressed? Um, there are certain products, foods that uh, our forebears happen to stumble upon. And what these foods do is they make you feel better. Uh, and not necessarily just foods, but any kind of substance. Um, if you ferment grapes, they make you feel a whole lot better than the ones that were unfermented. I'm talking about a glass of wine. You can ferment grains and make some beer or some whiskey. Um, you can isolate cocaine or heroin or tobacco. And what these, th these are plants um, that, that grow and people happen to discover that when they would have them, they would feel better. Same thing with uh, caffeine from tea or from coffee. Um, if they, they did not make people feel better, they wouldn't have sold. People are not buying coffee for the taste. Um, what you are not aware of, what, what our great, 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 great grandparents weren't aware of when they were using these things, they just knew they felt better. What they're actually doing is causing the cells to release dopamine. And every drug of abuse, whether it's a cigarette or a heroin injection, causes dopamine to be released. That's the only reason that people keep doing it. The problem is that when the dopamine has gone across the, the cleft and stimulated the other neurons and made you feel better, and so now the world is, is a lovely place because you just had your alcohol, cigarette, cocaine hit, whatever it is, that dopamine is now gone and you're now in a deficit and later on you will feel worse. And the more people do this, the worse they feel. So that over the long run, they need that hit of their drug just to feel sort of normal. Um, so when people are feeling crummy um, and they're not getting the normal, this will sound funny, but they're not getting the normal dopamine release that comes from just social interactions. Yes, it's true. When you get friends interacting with each other, uh, laughing and having fun, they get a little bit of dopamine in their brain, a little bit of that, that's, which is experienced as fun and, and enjoyment. And it can even be measured. And of course, the more intense the interaction up to sexual intercourse, you get more and more dopamine release. You're by yourself, you're feeling lonely, your friends are gone, chocolate is there. Chocolate will stimulate a little dopamine release too. So all these things call to us, they give momentary release, uh, momentary pleasure, but over the long run, they make you feel worse. You mentioned chocolate there, and then that kind of got me to thinking, well, one of the things that I will use sometimes to put a smile on my face if I'm feeling down is a little bit of caffeine. I'll go for a cup of black tea, which has a little bit more caffeine there. Is there a connection between caffeine and maybe improved mood? Sure. Um, well, caffeine, like every, I'm sorry to say it, caffeine is legal and quite mild uh, compared to others, but it does the same thing. It will cause dopamine release and then cause a little bit of a deficit the following morning, which is why let's say somebody's got a three, four, five cup uh, coffee habit during the day. They wake up the next day and they do not feel like a human being until they have dragged over to Starbucks to get their first hit of the day. Um, <laughs> so that's true for all these things. Um, you get a momentary um, improvement in mood followed by, by a bit of a deficit. Margaret picked up a copy of Your Body Imbalances in the middle of going through it right now. You talk a lot about hormones in there, and she's wondering if you could please explain how food can affect hormones and subsequently the mood on top of that. 
Um, great question. Maybe we'll, we'll take, uh, why don't we take estrogens a little bit? Because many women will discover that they feel, uh, some women will say to me, right around my cycle, I don't feel like myself. Um, and I feel maybe a little more irritable or grumpy or whatever. It's different for different women. What's happening? We're having estrogen shifts. The amount of estrogen that's in the blood uh, changes from day to day. And toward the end of the cycle, it's falling as a woman's period is approaching, and that can lead to moodiness sometimes. Okay, um, can food affect that? The short answer is yeah, it can a lot. When a woman is on a really low fiber diet, hot dogs, spam, bacon, Velveeta, these foods don't have fiber in them. The amount of estrogen that she has will be artificially elevated um, during certain parts of the cycle. And what goes up comes down. So the estrogen peaks and valleys will be more violent. Um, if she's on a really high fat diet, that's going to be do doing the same kind of thing. So let's say you decide, all right, I'm going to go completely vegan, no animal products. That means that everything in your diet now has fiber in it. Fiber will bring your estrogen levels down to a more balanced level. Um, and if you keep the fat out, that will help too. And what you discover is that rather than being on this roller coaster of estrogen, the roller coaster smoothed out a little bit. This will be experienced if we do it vegan and no animal, uh, not, not only no animal products, but keep oils really low. This will be experienced physically as reduced pain, reduced menstrual cramps. Uh, often the effect is dramatic. Um, but also you may notice less PMS symptoms, which can be physical symptoms like bloating and water retention coming down and mood changes coming down too. Don't take my word for it. Try this for two cycles, two months. Um, be completely vegan, low fat from the onset of your first day of bleeding, one period, um, which is the way we do it in research studies. Do it for two full cycles. See how you feel. Cody here now is looking for specifics and going back to old vitamin K. Kale wants to know whether or not it's true that kale is especially helpful for improving the mood. What can't kale do, Dr. Barnard? <laughs> kale is really great for improving the mood, particularly if you eat it with all other vegan foods, throw out all the animal products, lace up your sneakers, go running uh, with friends, all of whom love kale together. Um, so I'm, I'm kidding. Kale is not any better than the other cruciferous vegetables. Um, it's, it's very healthy. It's, it's a great thing to have. Um, but it's part of an overall dietary pattern that's associated with not only better mood, but better overall health. That said, we have, we do have a few people who are wondering if there are specific foods or whether or not it's best to just keep it simple, keep it general, stay with the plant-based options. Um, the, the foods to really think about are whole grains, in other words, um, as opposed to white rice, because they've got the fiber in them. Fiber nourishes the gut bacteria and makes sure that they're on your side. White rice is not poison. It beats the heck out of animal products, but you're better off with the brown rice. So whole grains, number one, they're great. The bean group, that's beans, peas, lentils, all good. Uh, in the vegetable group, go for both the green vegetables and the orange vegetables. Green means not just kale, but broccoli, Brussels sprouts, collards, spinach, all of them. The orange vegetables, think about carrots, think about something like sweet potatoes. Um, they, the um, nutrient content will complement each other. And lastly, don't forget fruits. Uh, fruits um, are a great snack. Have them on your desk, here's what I've got. These, you can see. 
Um, if these are, are next to you, um, you'll snack on them instead of potato chips or candy bars or something like that. And because fruits don't have much of any fat in them, they will support a good healthy gut bacteria and you will feel good. If What you will often discover is if you, let's say you have a fatty snack food because your fruit wasn't around and you plugged the quarters into the candy machine and you got a Snickers bar or something like that. The fat in it will make your blood more viscous, your blood supply to your brain will slow down, and you'll have that after meal sluggishness that you remembered from before you were vegan. Um, it's the fatty foods that do that. So don't do that. Have lots of fruits around because they have the energy you need without the fat that's going to slow you down and, and will slow down your mood too. I love the fact that you have those little oranges on your desk. And it, it gets me to wondering whether, you know, jokingly, man is inherently lazy. And I'm wondering that <laughs> if you have the healthier option right there on your desk and you don't even have to move to get it, yeah. if you're going to be more inclined get, to eat these that. Two. <laughs> these are my bananas. Um, exactly. Same thing, Chuck. Yeah. Right. So you'll be less inclined then, do you think, to then walk the 20, 40, 50 feet, whatever it is, to the vending machine to get that candy bar? Um, Chuck, I think you're absolutely right. Um, if you have these things around, then those are the things that you're going to stack on. I'll get, and I'll give you another example. Um, let's say you go to the store, you buy a cantaloupe. Um, if that cantaloupe is sitting on your kitchen counter, nobody's going to eat it. Why? Because I think what you said is true. We, we are inherently... You might say lazy, but you could also say we're conserving energy. So <laughs> if you buy the cantaloupe and before you, um, you know, before you go sit down, just take a knife and cut it up into chunks. Put the chunks in a bowl. I guarantee you they will disappear. Your family members open up the fridge and think, what's there to eat? And they'll see those chunks, they'll put them on a bowl, and they will eat that. Um, and so they'll get healthy choices because those choices were attractive but super duper easy. So I always keep lots of these things around it. And um, it's been my habit for a long time. And they're really good snacks and they, they keep you energetic all afternoon long. A moment ago, you mentioned, I believe it was brown rice compared to white rice. And that got Paul to wondering about whether or not it's true that soda and white flour can trigger depression because of a rapid spike and subsequent decline in blood sugar. Um, that's what people do say. And it could well be. Um, I'm, so if it's true for you, you'll know it and you can, you can experiment with these things and just see. But I have to say, I think what is probably a bigger contributor to it is when you take um, with something like a cookie or a cake or a pie, it's white flour, but it's the white flour that's combined with, often with a very heavy fat, um, like shortening or butter. And those heavy fats slow down blood flow. Uh, they increase blood viscosity, blood thickness. And that's what often causes that slowdown that you feel. That, that's the, the Thanksgiving syndrome. Uh, the person had the turkey and the gravy and all that fat stuff, um, and they fall asleep in the afternoon, and they, they think it's tryptophan that made them go to sleep. That's not it. There's just all that gravy in their blood. <laughs> Penny wants to know, speaking of fat and, and gravy, is too much fat the problem, or could it be a lack of other healthy nutrients that can cause mental health issues? Uh, well, well, both. I mean, and keep in mind, if you're eating a lot of fat, a gram of fat has nine calories in it. So if you're having a couple ounces of cheese and some meat, the calories from the fat add up so much that they're squeezing out the healthy food. They're squeezing out the beans and the vegetables and fruits. Question from Lisa, what are the most important <coughs> nutrients for mental health? Well, really, a basic plant-based diet is what you need. We, we've been focusing on 
on that. That means adequate protein, not too much, not too little, adequate fat, but really avoid, um, avoid the excesses. But there are two things that I do want to mention just really quickly. Um, one is vitamin B12. Uh, you do need vitamin B12 for healthy blood. Everybody knows that, but you also need it for healthy nerves and healthy brain function. Do not miss it. Um, you want to make sure that you get it. How much do you need? 2.4 micrograms a day. Um, all multiple vitamins have it. And um, if you don't take a multiple vitamin, just go to the store and get the smallest B12 that they have. Um, but there's one other thing, and here's a little trick for you. If you're feeling a little moody or if you're unsure um, about um, maybe you didn't sleep very well or something like that, I have found some people discover a little bit of a mood booster from having plant protein early in the day and early in your first meal. I wrote about this in your body and balance, but let me just describe it really quickly. Um, if you have something just starchy for breakfast, a bagel, you go off to work and you don't really feel quite as good as you would feel if you had a little bit of plant protein first. A super high carbohydrate um, meal causes the release of serotonin in the brain, which leads to just a trace of sleepiness later. Plant protein will block that effect, so the sleep sleepiness doesn't occur. How do I do that? Uh, go to the store, get some tempeh, uh, marinate it in a little bit of soy sauce, pan fry it on both sides for just a few minutes, and it becomes like crispy bacon. It's high in protein, but unlike bacon, it doesn't have any animal fat to slow you down. It doesn't have any cholesterol. Um, have a couple pieces of that tempeh, the way a person would eat bacon, but have that as the first thing you eat in the morning. The amino acids from the tempeh get into your bloodstream. They stop serotonin from being produced, which is what you want because it's daytime. You don't want to go to sleep now. And then whatever you have later, you can then have the starchy things after that, and you'll feel wide awake. If you have the starchy things first, the serotonin is being, is being made. See what I mean? You could do the same thing with, say, some tofu, high in protein. Take it, pan fry it in a non-stick pan so you don't need any oil at all. Um, season it with a little soy sauce or nutritional yeast or ginger or something like that. Have that be the first thing you eat and have your oatmeal or other starchy things afterwards. And don't take my word for it. Just try it. If you're feeling a little moody, try my plant protein first, other things later, and see if it doesn't have an antidepressant effect for you. As we do the show, we are headed into the fall season, and that, of course, means shorter days. You've got the clocks that are going to fall back here pretty soon. And Thea is wondering whether changing her diet could improve her seasonal affective disorder. Very likely, yes. Um, as the days get shorter, colder, um, a couple things happen. Um, some people really are susceptible to seasonal affective disorder. Light is actually used as a treatment for that. But the other thing is when it's colder, your inner squirrel comes out. What I mean is your brain is hardwired to say, uh-oh, winter is coming. I better eat more. And you can say to yourself, wait a minute, I happen to know that there will be just as much food around here in December as there is in August. Um, I'm not too worried about it. Your inner squirrel got the message a long time ago that now's the time to stock up. People gain weight in the wintertime. They do. And it's not just because there's Thanksgiving and the other winter holidays. It's the coldness of in, in the air and the shortened days that cause us to overeat. And the holidays just add to that problem. Question from Casey. Casey writes, my depression improved after eating a whole food plant-based diet, but it did not go away completely. Is that normal or should I be doing something else? 
everybody gets a different effect. And I, I really have to say, I don't want to over, I don't want to overstate the science on this. We have observed the antidepressant effect. Many other teams have too, but I don't think it has been studied in enough detail that we really know which foods are best. But what I would suggest is that you try all of these things together, vegan, low fat, try my plant protein trick that I just mentioned, add to it regular exercise, get your heart pumping a little bit, um, do it with other people so that you get the antidepressant effect of, of social support. And if mood issues are persisting, um, look to see if there's any contributors to it. Alcohol, medication sometimes can, can affect mood. And if all that's been ruled out and you have serious uh, mood issue, see a professional um, and do take advantage of what, what uh, modern health professionals can offer. Jim is wondering a specific question about meat here and depression. Wants to know whether the hormones in meat increase the odds of depression or is it, a, uh, is it the fat in meat as we've been talking about today? Um, I don't think it's the hormones in, in meat. And a number of people have talked about the fact that um, when an animal's throat is slit, I mean, they are going through the most anxiety, high anxiety time of an animal's life. Um, going into a slaughterhouse is no fun and being grabbed and hoisted up and all that kind of stuff. And so the question is, are the stress hormones that end up in meat then transmitted to the consumer and could that cause it? I don't think so. Um, conceivable, I get the idea, but I, I really don't think so. I, I think the big issue is that meat has fat in it that slows down blood flow. It lacks fiber. It lacks complex carbohydrate. So it sets up inflammation that harms the brain. And it also sets up uh, unhealthy gut bacterium that, that will harm the brain. And, and by the way, if anybody's skeptical that something physical could actually affect something like your mood, it absolutely can. Back decades ago, uh, an antihypertensive called reserpine was marketed. And it's, it knocks down blood pressure. It really does. But people whose lives were totally fine in every other respect suddenly became profoundly depressed. And their doctors are trying to figure out what had happened to them. Why did this occur? And they put two and two together. The drug was causing it. The point is this. Simply a physical actor like certain medications can cause what is for all intents and purposes clinical depression, the kind of depression a person could have from terrible life events and something like that. So depression is, is a physical thing. I think we've already covered this next question a little bit, but a quick refresher. Lee is wondering, how do simple and complex uh, complex carbohydrates affect the mood differently? Uh, probably not dramatically differently. Um, it, simple com complex, simple carbohydrates are sugar, basically. It's a synonym for sugar. So if you have table sugar or milk sugar, for that matter, or the sugar in honey, that's those are simple carbohydrates and that just means it's a tiny little molecule of sugar that is absorbed quickly. Complex carbohydrates means many sugar molecules are stuck together in a chain to make bread or to make a potato. Um, but the reason I say they're not that much different is that your body has enzymes that snip those little uh, chains apart and you absorb the, the natural sugar molecules from complex carbohydrates pretty easily too. Um, and, and that's not bad, by the way. Those are good. Those sugar molecules go into your muscles, give you strength, go to your brain. They power your brain cells. That's all good. The issue, though, is whether they're coming into your blood too fast. And that's where fiber comes in. So if you have rice 
complex carbohydrate. But if it's brown rice, it's covered with a little covering of bran. That's the fiber. And so that makes it digest a little more slowly. So instead of getting a whole bunch of sugar all at once in your blood, it kind of cascades in more gradually. <laughs> Let's take one more question about mood. And uh, this is something Moby and I were talking about uh, when we recorded an interview recently. That will be out very soon. We were talking about the belief that vegans just tend to gen generally be happier people. So Jenny here is wondering whether there have been studies about why vegans are seemingly happier. You talked about the Geico study, but how much other research is out there about this? I think that, guy, that that vegans should be the most miserable people because people are always bugging with questions like, where do you get your protein? <laughs> <laughs> so I think vegans should be the most fed up, irritated people of all because people are constantly bugging them and they can't figure out why their families haven't figured out that, you know, the environment could use a break and so could animals and so could your coronary arteries. So vegans ought to be miserable. Um, during in, in the research studies, Chuck, that you and I have talked about, whether it's the menopause studies that we just did where women's hot flashes really improved dramatically when they went on a low-fat vegan diet along with soybeans, or in the diabetes studies that we've done or the arthritis studies or other things. When people transition to a vegan diet, their moods often improve, but they also are going through what for many is sort of a life-changing experience, which has been described to me by some of our research participants as, as I suddenly have control. I thought I, I couldn't control things. I thought I couldn't, couldn't control my weight. I, I was just at the mercy of, of, of uh, the foods that were around me or whatever, or, or genetics. I thought I, had, I thought I couldn't control my fate. I thought I couldn't, couldn't control my diabetes. Now I understand I've got control. That is a, an empowering way to feel. And I think for many people who adopt a vegan diet, they suddenly look at the world in a very different way in which you're not just a passenger riding on the wave that your DNA set up for you, but instead you have some control over things and that is empowering. All right, let's take a couple of uh, other questions here of a few other topics here before we wrap things up. This is a follow-up, Dr. Barnard, from last week's uh, discussion about kidney stones. This one from Margo wants to know whether eating too much vegan ice cream can cause a kidney stone. Um, I don't think it's going to cause kidney stones, but I would be much as much as everybody's got to love the taste of vegan ice cream. Look at the label and do pick the ones that are really low in fat, especially low in saturated fat. Um, so many of them nowadays uh, take advantage of the taste and mouthfeel of coconut fat and palm oil, coconut oil, palm oil. And I would really just avoid them completely um, because they'll raise your cholesterol. Those are the saturated fats that are linked to Alzheimer's disease. So I, I would just skip those things. LC, great segue there. Thank you for making my job easy. Uh, is fresh coconut or palm fruit as bad as the added coconut or palm oil you were just talking about? No, it's, it's not quite as bad, but I mean, it's still the same, it's the same issue that they have some coconut oil impregnated with them. Um, if you get the coconut, there is still some fiber and some pulp. So that dilutes it a little bit, but there are some of these fruits that are very few of them, that are really exceptions to the, the rule, which is that fruits are really low in fat. There are a couple of exceptions to that, the coconuts and the, the palm fruits. Um, avocado as well, although the avocado fat is not as saturated as the coconut fat. 
Janet has a sister who has low levels of iron in her blood and was just told by her doctor that she needs to eat meat. So Janet is wondering, how can you raise your iron while eating a vegan diet? That is the most tragic thing. Um, do have a word with your doctor about the nutrition um, resources that we have available because you do need iron. There's no question about it. But if you're eating meat, along with the iron, you're getting cholesterol and saturated fat and probably some salmonella. And there's, there's no reason for any doctor or any other caregiver to give that 1950s advice that because you're low in iron, you need meat or you need liver or something like that. That's just really not a good idea. Okay, so um, if a person's low in iron, step one is to try to figure out why. Um, and a good doctor will first wonder, are, are you bleeding somewhere? Do you have heavy menstrual flow or good heavens is something happening in your digestive tract so that you're bleeding. Doctors are going to look at that first. Um, then if for whatever reason a person actually needs more iron, um, green leafy vegetables have lots and lots of iron in them. And that's in fact where an animal got them. If the animal, if, if you're eating meat for iron, the meat came from an animal who was herbivorous and ate green leafy vegetables, whether it's grass or something else. Um, so green leafy vegetables give you iron in a good, healthy form, have abundant amounts of, of greens, have them at, you can have them at any meal. And for most people, that's gonna take care of it. Uh, your doctor will follow you along the way. If you're still low in iron, there are some people who will use supplements, but the vast majority of people don't have them. Mosumi, is there a safe and healthy plant-based meal plan for a 14-year-old girl? And if so, what might that look like? Oh, great question. Um, first of all, if you have a 14-year-old girl who's looking at going vegan, um, she's got good parents, and that's you. So thank you for supporting her, and, and you want to support her by making sure you're vegan yourself. Um, the whole family can and should do it together. It's Rather than having just one vegan in the household, the whole family can do it, and it will be transforming, and your kids will think you're the best parents ever, because you are. Okay, so the rules for kids, super easy, because they're the same as the rules for adults. Four, four foods should be part of the daily routine. Vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans. They don't have to be all in one meal, but they should be there. So if you have beans and rice, okay, that's the bean group and that's the grain group. Have a vegetable on the side, that's an, another group. And if you have an apple or a banana or some other fruits there, you got, you got them covered. Kids, like adults, also need B12. If they take a Flintstones vitamin, they got B12. Or if they're not, you just give them a B12 supplement that you can get at any health food store or any grocery store or any drugstore. The smallest one they sell is fine. It might be 100 micrograms, 200, perfectly fine. That's it. Um, if they want to have soy products, they're fine. Soy products are associated with reduced cancer risk in both men and women. So let's say your child says, I don't want that hot dog, but I'll take the veggie hot dog, the soy hot dog. Great. Uh, it's good they're not having the pork hot dog. It's great if they're having um, the soy hot dog or, or the others may go plant sources. Uh, so veggie bacon, veggie sausage, these things are convenience foods that are okay for kids. Read the labels, choose the ones that are lowest in fat, especially low in saturated fat, and have at it. You can have the healthiest kids around. All right, so let's go from 14 and flash forward about five decades. Final question comes to us from Jane. She's wondering whether or not she should be taking a multivitamin. She says that she is 62 years old and have always taken a multivitamin for women over 50. 
Okay. Um, multivitamins are good because they have vitamin B12 in them. Um, that's really kind of all they're good for because if you're following a plant-based diet, you're actually getting everything else that was in that B12 from your foods and you don't need the multiple vitamin. Are there reasons to not take a multiple vitamin? Yeah, there are two reasons. One is iron and one is copper. Um, if you take a typical multiple vitamin, they have both in them. And although your body needs a little iron and a little copper, if you're overdoing it with them, both are linked to um, Alzheimer's disease in older age. Uh, the research is still going on, but we have more than enough reason to not overdo it on either iron or copper. Um, so uh, the Centrum company marketed Centrum Silver. Maybe this is what you're talking about. It's a multi multiple vitamin for people over 50 and it has no iron in it at all. Great, but they're a little bit behind on the science. They still have copper in there and they should take that out too. Um, bottom line, all you really need from that vitamin is B12. So I would suggest don't have the multiple vitamin. You, you can, but 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 you can't. You'll, you'll find some of them online that say vitamins only. That's their name, vitamins only. They don't have any uh, copper or iron in them. Fine, that's going to be fine for you. But you could just go to the drugstore, health food store, grocery store, get B12, smallest dose. That's pretty much all you need. Don't forget to join us for the exam room live every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. That is your best chance to ask a question of our experts, such as Dr. Barnard. You can also send us your questions ahead of time. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. At the top of the show, we learned that 5% of all adults worldwide suffer from depression. By adding in young minds, there are now an estimated 280 million people in the throes of depression, according to the World Health Organization. And sadly, as Dr. Barnard mentioned, many of those who are suffering will choose to take their own life. Over 700,000 will take that route, seeing no other way to end their pain. So it is incumbent upon us to do everything in our power to help. And that can begin by educating ourselves and then taking what we've learned and lending a helping hand and becoming a comforting voice for those in a time of need. Now, is that to say that eating a healthier diet will solve all of the problems? Absolutely not, but it is a start. So let's start together. And one of the easiest ways that we can do that one of the easiest ways that we can help those in need is simply by subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever shows are available, and please also leave a five-star rating. Because every new subscription does, in fact, make it easier for those suffering to find this help. This help that hopefully then can become the light at the end of a dark tunnel. Today's episode of The Exam Room has been brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Greg Ryder's love for animals was unrivaled, and today, that fund in his honor is dedicated to supporting organizations like the Physicians Committee that share that same passion 
and love that Greg had through animal rescue efforts and promoting a vegan lifestyle and even wildlife conservation. Please visit GregoryWriterFund.org. That's GregoryWriter, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org to learn more about Greg's story and about the animal issues they're currently working on. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to their newsletter so you can stay up to date on everything that they're doing. And you can find a link right now to that website in the show notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for joining us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. (laughs) 